Dear Father in heaven, I just need your help to be able to speak now. Uh, you know my limitations and you know what we need to hear. I pray that you will enable it to be communicated and I pray that uh, everyone will go home just excited to work with you, excited to unite and, and uh, to carry out the work that you've asked us to do. And as we see the results in our gardens, as we see the results in our families, as we see the results in people around us, may others catch the vision too. Inspire us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a pretty big task, isn't it, to take the three angels' messages to the whole world? I don't know how it's ever going to be done. We get a glimpse of it in Revelation 18 when the fourth angel uh, enlightens the whole world with its glory. The message, calling people out of Babylon, calling people to worship God, uh, to fear God and give glory to Him for the hour of His judgment has come. And we're longing for the day when the Holy Spirit will be poured out in latter rain power so that this can really be wrapped up and we can go home. It can't be far away. I mean, the world is really deteriorating fast, isn't it? And um, the disasters that are happening, it's going to get harder before the Lord comes. And it's going to be challenging for us. But I believe that what we've learned here, the something better will help finish God's work. Can you say amen? I really believe that to be true. But to a lot of Adventists, this movement to move to the country and have this lifestyle is seen as, as actually a hindrance to doing the work. Where do the majority of people live? They live in cities. And it's getting more and more and more as we look at the statistics. So does this really hinder the work from being finished? I don't believe that's true. I believe there are people who are called to work the cities. God calls them. And um, when they respond, God equips them, protects them, and enables them to do that work. But if we think as Adventists that we can live in cities and not be involved in God's work, not be focused, and just raise our families there, we're going to be very disappointed. And the Bible records the story of Lot as an example of why we really need to get out of the wicked cities. I found it very interesting in this um, section of the Alan G. White Encyclopedia uh, that talks about the little book called Country Living. I'm sure many of you have seen this book and read it. It says there that the councils brought together in this booklet, and by the way, does anyone know who compiled that book? Does anyone here know? We have a, a book here called Councils on Agriculture that um, John Dysinger uh, compiled, but you'll be interested to know that this book was compiled by E.A. Sutherland. And so this little book has had a, a pretty big impact. But they say here that the councils brought together in this booklet were largely responsible for Adventism's intrinsic fear of the cities, which is still strong today, and may have contributed to the years of slow progress of its work in urban centers. Unfortunately, her equally strong and numerous calls to evangelize the cities did not receive such wide circulation as did the contrasting councils compiled in country living. The two sets of councils may be reconciled by the observation that those directly involved in evangelizing the cities 
may be called to live in them. Is that true? It is true, isn't it? But that those who choose to live in the cities without any strong conviction of evangelistic vocation may be sacrificing eternal values for temporal ones. I'd like to take that even a little bit further. I'm sorry, I should have been clicking this. I forgot that I needed to click. There we go. Um, I would take this a little bit further to, to say that even the call to move to the country, if we move to the country without a focus on God's um, commission that he's given us to reach the world with the three angels' messages, that we could also have disappointing results. Um, we could also uh, sacrifice eternal values for temporal ones. One of the many reasons that families should move out of the cities, Ellen White said, she said that serious times are before us and there is a great need for families to get out of the cities into the country. She talks about how the work of character development, if you raise your kids in the city, and this is back in her day, would be 10 times harder than if they are raised in the country. She says that one of the reasons is that the truth may be carried into the byways as well as the highways of the earth. Much depends upon laying our plans according to the word of the Lord and with persevering effort carrying them out. More depends upon consecrated activity and perseverance than upon genius and book learning. And there are so many, um, so many statements where we are told that, it, that even those who stay in the cities, when the final judgments of God fall upon them, will not escape them if they have not listened to the counsel that God has given in this, re- in this regard. And so it's a pretty serious call, and yet she also gives caution that uh, families shouldn't rush hastily and, and go to the country without counseling, without um, carefully weighing the cost and moving under the providence of God. So it's very easy for us to make a rash, um, you know, passionate decision and then all of a sudden get in a predicament that we don't know how to get out of. And there have been people that all of a sudden they think this isn't working and they run back to the cities to the protection that they think they have in the cities. So we don't want that to happen. The key is that we need to be led by God. God will lead us in every step of the way. But when we focus on the work that God has given us, not just of growing food, but of giving the gospel, um, God cooperates with our efforts and reveals himself to us in ways that just really, for me, it just blows me away. Isaiah 32.20 says, Blessed are you who sow besides all waters. So the countryside has to be reached as well as the city. Is that true? In fact, Ellen White encourages us to move to dark areas where there aren't Adventists. There are plenty of rural areas where people need to hear the gospel. Farming is the, or the agrarian lifestyle. I don't want to just narrow it to farming, but the agrarian lifestyle is one of those um, experiences, as we've been learning, as John has been sharing with us, uh, one of the conditions where God equips us to be better able to do the work that he's given us. And Noah is in the Bible there as one of the examples. And in Genesis 5, 28 and 29, Lamech, it says, lived 182 years and had a son, and he called his name Noah, saying... 
This one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. So Noah grew up in a farming family. And this was the, con- the, the, the conditions that God ordained for him to be equipped to do the greatest work of his time, to warn the world of the impending judgment. And he was busy building an ark, just like when we're busy farming, you think, where am I going to find time to do this kind of work? I mean, farming takes up all my time. I don't know how I'm going to do it. But somehow the Lord calls people who are used to being active and busy. Remember that quote we just read before? Let me see if we can go back to it. Oh, sorry, I haven't been clicking through. (laughs) Uh, Let me go back to this one. Maybe I need to go forward to it. Okay. Go back one. So notice it says here, more depends upon what? Consecrated activity and perseverance. And let me tell you, if you want to learn perseverance, how do you learn perseverance? Trying to grow crops when you're having struggles in the heat and all the things that make it um, difficult. Perseverance is learned and consecrated activity as we do our part and work with God to bring those crops to fruition. And so more depends on that than on a genius and book learning. Let's get this clicker working and get through to the... I'm sorry, it seems to be slow. As we uh, do this work of... this um, agricultural work of growing crops, I love this promise and it has been so dear to me, I've claimed it from from the very beginning when I was called into farming. I didn't know how to farm. And um, I had read this before, and so I claimed it. And I pray this when I'm growing. I pray for. I, I claim this as a promise every day. Lord, please teach me wisdom, because I don't have wisdom, and You've promised to instruct. And God really does. He really does. We might have some failures, but through the failures, God teaches us. And um, I guess I'll read through it really quickly because I don't want to take a lot of time. We want to wrap up. But it says here, this is really precious, give ear and hear my voice, this is God speaking, listen and hear my speech, does the plowman keep plowing all day to sow, does he keep turning his soil and breaking the clods, when he has leveled its surface, does he not sow the black cumin and scatter the cumin, plant the wheat in rows, the barley in the pointed place, and the spelt in its place, for he, that is God, instructs him in right judgment. Would you like God to instruct you in right judgment? He's promised to do it. His God teaches him. For the black cumin is not threshed with a threshing sledge, nor a cartwheel rolled over the cumin, but the black cumin is beaten out with a stick and the cumin with a rod. Bread flour must be ground, therefore he does not thresh it forever. Break it with his cartwheel or crush it with his horsemen. This also comes from the Lord of hosts, who is wonderful in counsel and excellent in guidance." This is a powerful promise, and I hope that you will claim it um, every day as you work with him. And I found it to be so true. Uh, I won't tell the stories for the sake of time, but many, many a time has God flashed into my mind almost a picture, and I'm not a, one of those, I don't have an imagination that has pictures, but sometimes he flashes a picture of what should be, and, and, 
and it, it helps me solve problems. And um, as we, you know, do this work, I would say that the first probably four years that I was farming, oftentimes I was not um, cheerfully doing the work. I was working long, getting tired, getting grumpy, and uh, sometimes getting discouraged. But this um, passage here really rebuked me. And it says here in 6th volume of the Testimonies 178, If the land is cultivated, it will with the blessing of God. The blessing of God. We must pray for the blessing of God. You know, we can't... You know, we have scientists that are um, studying plants, the, the soil and all these things, and coming up with all these ways of growing, and they get results. In fact, look what science is giving us, hydroponics. That's not really what we want, but that's the, some of the solutions that they're coming up with to feed the world. But with the blessing of God, we are, God has promised that he will supply our necessities. We are not to be discouraged about temporal things because of apparent failures, nor should we be disheartened by delay. We should work the soil how? Cheerfully, hopefully, gratefully, believing that the earth holds in her bosom rich stores for the faithful worker to garner, stores richer than gold or silver. So, you know, the ground was cursed for whose sake? For our sake. God has a purpose in the toil and the difficulty of, of trying to grow our crops. And through it, if we know, if we recognize that we need the blessing of God and we expect the blessing of God and we, we um, cheerfully, hopefully, gratefully believe that he's going to give that blessing, it does something to us. And that is what God is wanting to affect. That's what he's wanting to do. He's wanting to grow us. We want him to grow our plants. He wants to grow us. And it's, um, it's, it's really amazing that if we will focus on what he wants to do for us, then he can actually do it. So I love this passage here. Um, it's one of the promises that I claim from God, and I've been praying for it. It says uh, in Psalm 65, 9 through 11, You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its ridges abundantly. You settle its furrows. You make it soft with showers. You, what does God do? You bless its growth. You crown the year with your goodness, and your paths drip with abundance. Now, to a, to a carnal mind, we might think money, right? That it's, we're going to have an abundance of money. But there is an abundance more than what money can buy that God gives us through the experience of growing. He might give us an abundant harvest of food. It might not equate money. We might not be able to sell it. But he gives us an abundance and so shows us that he will bless as he has promised. And I, I prayed for this almost on a daily basis. The next one that I've been claiming as well is in Psalm 67 verses 1, 2, 5 through 7. And as we, you know, have this cheerful, grateful um, attitude and uh, praise God, he promises that he will do something. It says here, God, be merciful to us and bless us. Does he need to be merciful to us? He does, doesn't he? Not just because of who we are and how messed up and the things we've done, but he needs to be merciful on us in supplying our needs. 
and cause his face to shine upon us. Why? That your way or God's way may be known on earth, your salvation among all the nations. So when God is merciful to us and blesses us, the effect of that is that his way can be known on the earth. I really um, was touched by the testimony of the young Brazilian girl talking about how people came out to the farm and um, how they, uh, this young lady that didn't believe in God, how she saw um, there's something better and she started giving her heart to the Lord. That was so touching. This is God's purpose is to affect people to see the something better. But the last part of the, this um, verse or this passage says, let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. Then what will happen? Then the earth shall yield her increase. Do you believe that to be true? Or is this just some sort of fanciful, spiritual, nice feeling thing to, to read and, and that's it? Do you think that if we will praise God, that he will cause the earth to yield its increase? Do you have faith that he will do that? He will. God, our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. So when we have that grateful, cheerful attitude when we're, and hopeful as we're working with God, growing these crops, and we praise him for what he's going to do and what he does do, more than just in our gardens and our farms, or what he's doing in our lives and what he's promised to complete and the home that he's prepared for us. God says that the earth will yield her, yield her increase. And as a result of that, the blessing of God, all the ends of the earth shall fear him. What's the first angel's message? What does it start out with? Fear God. Give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. So what is going to lead the earth to fear him? When? The earth, when the people in this world see God's people praising, grateful, and uh, working with him, and the earth yielding an increase, it'll be, wow, there is a God in heaven. Wow. Now I want to share this, this passage. This one really impacted me more than anything else in this past year. It says, To praise God in fullness and sincerity of heart is as much a duty as is prayer. Is it important to pray? It's just as important to praise God in fullness and sincerity of heart. We are to show to the world, to the, all the heavenly intelligences, that we appreciate the wonderful love of God for fallen humanity and that we are expecting larger and yet larger what? Blessings from His infinite fullness. Far more than we do, we need to speak of the precious chapters in our experience. After a special outpouring of the Holy Spirit, our joy in the Lord and our efficiency in His service would be greatly increased by recounting His goodness and His wonderful works in behalf of His children. These exercises drive back the power of Satan. Do you know what? The power of Satan is going to work strong to stop you achieving the something better in your life. He's going to do everything he can to try to hinder it. But if we will still praise God in all the trials and difficulties, the power of Satan will be driven back. Notice what else will happen. It, they, that is the exercise of praising God, expel the spirit of murmuring and complaint, and the tempter loses what? Ground. I want him to lose ground. 
And I'm grateful that this is one of the keys to him losing ground. They cultivate those attributes of character which will fit the dwellers on earth for the heavenly mansions. Do we need to be fitted up for heaven? This is what we are told will help cultivate those attributes of character. It's not the hard work and the sweat that's going to fit us for heaven. It's the cheerful, grateful, hopeful attitude as we do it, trusting in God that he will do what he's promised because it's a work of cooperation. And that's what God wants to teach us is if we will cooperate with him, he will do what he's promised and we will see amazing things and then the earth will will get the message. Notice what else. Such a testimony will have influence upon others. No more effective means can be employed for winning souls to Christ. So what's the most effective means to win souls to Christ? How can we finish this work that God has given us to do of warning the world of the judgment to come? Sharing the praises of God with others and they will be drawn to him. Okay, sorry, I didn't realize I've gone too far. So I want to share with you something that um, just blew me away this last year. We're told in the spirit of prophecy and in the Bible that what God has said about resting the land, that we should do it, even today. It's not just an Old Testament ceremonial law that was for Israel, but it was actually given for us today as well. And um, it says in, in Leviticus 25, 3 through 7, Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruit. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest, for the land a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. What grows of its own accord of your harvest you shall not reap, nor gather the grapes of your untended vine. For it is a year of rest for the land. And... The Sabbath produce of the land shall be food for who? For you. So you can still eat what grows there. For you, your male and female servants, your hired man, the stranger who dwells with you, for your livestock and the beasts that are in your land, all its produce shall be food for you. So you shall observe my statutes. This is Leviticus twenty-five eighteen through 20. And keep my judgments and perform them, and you will dwell in the land in safety. Then the land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill and dwell there in safety. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year, since we shall not sow nor gather in our produce? Then I will do what? Command my blessing on you in the sixth year, and it will bring forth produce enough for three years, and you shall sow in the eighth year and eat old produce in the ninth year, until its produce comes in you shall eat of the old harvest. So coming under conviction from reading this and then the endorsement of Ellen White saying we should still do this today, I kind of, um, I guess in an in a almost fearful way committed to doing this, but almost in an excited way to see what God would do. I decided that I was going to rest the land. We don't have a lot of land to grow on at Weimar. It's on the side of a hill and there's not much um, that we can effectively till without it eroding down the hillside and so I made this decision that that's what we're going to do committed to it and I was absolutely blown away how God fulfilled his promise 
And I want to share that with you just very briefly as I close as an encouragement to you to seek after the blessing of God, follow his instructions, and he will do exactly what he promised. So as we set out in this season, what happened was we were harvesting our crops. We even got a late start, so I thought we weren't even going to be as well off as the previous year. But as we started harvesting our crops and delivering all of a sudden the sales started going up by about 50% on the previous year. And then not only did our sales go up and, and so on, we had so much produce left over. In fact, people said to me over and over again, why aren't you harvesting all the produce? We were. We were, we were selling. We were way up. And we hadn't planted a, a much larger area than the year before. And so I was thinking in my carnal mind, where can I sell the extra? And then the Lord spoke to me and said, when the disciples, uh, when, when Jesus fed the 5,000 and, and then they gathered up 12 baskets of fragments, what did they do with those baskets? And I thought about that and I thought they did exactly what we're told to do, to care for the needy, for the poor, and for those who couldn't have made it to that meeting that they had there. And I'm sure they took those extras and took care of the needy. And so he impressed me, you need to give this away. So I called. We had given some away the year before to food banks, some of the seconds. So I called the food bank and, and uh, said, we're ready to give you more food. And this guy comes out and he picks it up and, and he starts um, taking it. And then that food bank was full and uh, couldn't take any more. So he went to the Salvation Army and then he went to another food bank and he filled them all up with all this food and we still had plenty left over. Didn't know what to do with it. And um, it just really blew me away. And then what actually happened was this guy who came from the food bank, his name was Tom, I've got a picture of him here. He, he would come and he would uh, grab a cucumber and he would just bite into it and go, oh, this is so good, or a tomato, and he'd bite into it, oh, these are so good. And he, every time he did the, exactly the same, and he would exclaim. And so I started saying to Tom, I said, taste and see that the Lord is good. And he, he didn't say anything. And every time he came, he'd do the same thing and, and exclaim. I gave him stuff to take home, to eat at home, and he was very grateful for that. He told me that when he took the produce to the food bank, that all the workers would, would run for it and grab them and start eating as well. And um, that they weren't used to getting good organic, uh, nutrient-dense food fed with uh, C90. But um, anyway, he kept coming day after day. Well, when I say day after day, he started doing three times a week deliveries. His pickup was loaded. The back of the pickup couldn't take more. And um, so I kept telling him, taste and see that the Lord is good. And then he, he started saying to me, you know what, I'm a recovering Catholic. He was kind of telling me, you know, I'm not really into this um, religion stuff. Um, and time went on and, and uh, he, kept, he said to me, you know, you've got a lot more produce this year than last year. And I said, yeah, it's the blessing of the Lord. And I told him we were keep going to keep the, the Sabbath rest of the land and he and Lord had promised in his word that he would bless the sixth year and he, he just listened and um, then time went on and he said to me he said you know I need to talk to you and he started to tell me of some of the troubles and, and some challenges he was facing in life some pretty difficult uh, things 
And I said to Tom, let's pray. And he said, okay. And so we prayed. And, uh, and then I actually said to him, as, as the uh, situation that he was going through was, was um, developing and he shared more details with me, I said to him, what do you want to see happen here, Tom? And he told me, he gave me a list of things. I'd like this to happen and this and this and this. And I said, why don't we pray about it and ask the Lord? So we prayed and we asked specifically for the very things that he was hoping would happen. And do you know what? The Lord answered every single one of those prayers and everything happened and he was blown away. And he went, wow. And he even said, wow, God is good. And then um, he started doing, he said, I like this place really well. And there were some circumstances that uh, he, he actually came and did some work for us. Volunteering didn't cost us anything. And one of the things I gave him to do was to go and work in the orchard and, and harvest sugar plums. And I said to Tom, I said, you know, in the orchard is a special place. I said, it's my favorite place on the farm. When I go there, I feel the presence of God. And I just really love it there. I wish I could work there more. And he said, okay. So he went up there. He worked there for hours during that day. And he came back with all the uh, crates of, um, uh, of sugar plums that he'd harvested. And he said to me, you know what? I felt the presence of God there too. And he said, I even talked to him. I say, wow, really? So then time goes on, and um, I, uh, one day he says to me, he says, you know, I'm, I'm trying to give up cursing. I said, really? And he said, um, yeah. And he said, I'm doing pretty good. I'm not there yet, but I'm, I'm making progress, and I'm trying to give up cursing. I said, good on you, Tom. And um, I shared with him Philippians uh, 4, thir- uh, 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he said, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to get a Bible. I said, uh, yeah, you should get a Bible and read it. He says, I'm going to get myself one for Christmas. I said, that's too far away. You need to get one now. I'll get you one. So I, I got him a Bible and I gave it to him. He took that Bible and he sat down and started reading it right away. He didn't even wait. And, um, and he started reading Philippians and he really liked the book of Philippians. Then... Um, another few, you know, week or so later, he his back of his Toyota um, pickup, we were leaning on the back of it and talking, and I was looking, you know, he had his tools and he had various things in the back of his truck, and um, he probably saw me looking, and I see this plastic bag full of some beer cans, and I, you know, I knew he drank, I'd smelt it on him occasionally, and I knew he smoked, I'd smelt that on him, and I hadn't said a word to him, and you know, he he said, you know what? I've decided that I'm going to stop drinking alcohol. I said, really? He said, yeah, in fact, I've even started tipping some of it out at home. And uh, I said, wow, praise God, that's great, Tom. And then he said, you know what? I'm going to give up smoking too. I'm going to stop. I hadn't said a word. Nobody had said anything to him except the Holy Spirit was speaking to him. And, you know, all he had been exposed to about God was just praising God for his goodness and that he had given the increase and that he had blessed as he had promised to do. And he was attracted to God. It was just really blew me away to see that. And then I read this, Psalms 36, 9. And it says, in your light, we see light. In your light, we see light. You know, it's not our work to go out and tell people stop smoking and stop drinking and, and keep the Sabbath and, and do all these doctrinal things that we believe. 
Our work is to show people the glory of God, to show God that is who he says he is and that he will bless us when we cooperate with him. He will pour out those blessings that he has said if we do what he has said and meet the conditions. And so I'm grateful to tell you today that um, Tom has had, we've been having Bible studies together and every time we, we open the Bible, he's excited to learn about this God. And when um, after I think it was the first or second Bible study I had with him, I was ready to lead him to a decision to invite Jesus in and, and, and accept him as a savior. And we read the uh, verse in Revelation 3.20 about him knocking at the door. I didn't even get to, to uh, say, you know, to, to make the appeal to him. He said, yes, let's do it before I even said it. He said, let, let me, I want to invite Jesus into my life. And he grabbed my hand and, and I was expecting, you know, that I would pray and then he would pray because he's not used to praying and that sort of thing. But he started praying right away and he asked Jesus into his life. And I was just blown away by that. I really believe that what we are doing in our work with God, cooperating with God, praising God, is going to have such a powerful influence and I believe that God is going to, to this message that we've learned about something better here, when people see your family, your kids, your, your, your happiness, it's going to be attractive. And, and God is going to give you opportunities to share about him as he pours out his blessings. They're not going to see you wealthy. They're not going to see you with bigger bank accounts and fancy cars and things like that. No, they're not going to be attracted to you because of worldly success. They're going to be attracted because... God is blessing you. How many of you want to say, Lord, I want to enter into that experience and even though it's going to be hard, it's going to be humble, it's going to be difficult, yeah, and I recognize it's better, I want to enter into this experience and I'm going to praise you. I'm going to make it a practice to praise you all through this experience. How many of you want to say, Lord, that's me. Praise God. I'll just close with a word of prayer and then we'll continue with our closing exercises. Loving Father in heaven, we are so grateful that you long to pour out your rich blessings on us. And we are to expect even more than what we have already received. And so, Father, keep us constant in prayer, claiming the promises of what you've said you will do. And Lord, will you bring people into our lives that can be affected by this? Will you show them your glory somehow through our gardens and through our farms? Will you please, Lord, help us finish the work so that we can go home and be with you? Thank you, Father. I know you long to do it. You're waiting for us to work with you and cooperate with you. And I praise you for what will be done and how this work will be finished in a short time. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.